Okay, warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird. Hey, warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We are the hosts of The Unqualified Therapist. We are not here to give you advice. We are here to tell you our stories, share your stories, and bring on the professionals from time to time. Mental health is complicated, and we know that from our personal experience. We believe in professional therapy. Both Sarah and I use that on our own healing journeys. But we also know it isn't one size fits all. The stigma surrounding mental illness can make us feel alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. And you're listening to The Unqualified Therapist Sync. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Unqualified Therapist. We are so excited today to be talking to Mick Neubauer, who is the social media director for Matcha Health, which is a telehealth platform that specializes in therapy. So we are super excited because we have been telling our listeners for a long time that if you can't get in with a therapist, check out an online therapy platform because people have been having some really great success with it. So we're so happy to provide you guys with some answers, but not only that, Mick is here to tell us her story as well with mental health, because don't we all have one? <laughs> you can pretend all you want like you don't have one, but we all do. So we're so excited to have Mick on with us. How are you today? Uh, I'm good. Hi, my name is Mick. I'm 22 years old. I like long walks on the beach and no shit. Um, <laughs> Uh, my mental health journey started uh, approximately at 10 years old, um, oh, wow. so it was it was pretty early on. I got an awesome combination of genetics. I was really lucky, and so as more traumatic things started to happen in my life, um, obviously more mental health symptoms started to appear. And so, about fifth grade is when I first had some like suicidal ideation. Obviously, that's very confusing for a 10-year-old. Parents don't really know what to do. Like, I, I think I told my mom, but I don't think she really understood the gravity of what I was feeling or actually knew how to deal with it. And so that's kind of when it started. I also had, like, terrible had, lol. I have social anxiety, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it definitely started to come out junior high and then definitely in high school for a multitude of reasons i think uh, i have adhd but i didn't get diagnosed until this may um wow. and so you know as a as an undiagnosed girl with adhd i think i was probably annoying because i have the combined type of both inattentive and hyperactive and so i like wouldn't pay attention in class in certain sections, even though I really liked class. And so then when I would hear something, I would jump to answer because like, you know, whatever the impulse was to answer. And so most of the time I got it right, but 
you know, being a know-it-all in junior high and being a girl doesn't really facilitate super easy uh, social cohesion. And so I just had social anxiety that continued to build and build and build and even still to this day. And then came high school. As if experiencing new school and hormone changes isn't enough, Mick began to experience more intense symptoms. I really remember when I started to have like manic and depressive symptoms in high school. I don't particularly remember like junior high, but definitely in high school. I think the entirety of my sophomore year of high school, I was in a manic episode. And then junior year, it was a depressive episode. And then senior year, I actually, for the first like semester, was I think in like a euthymic state. We had to look this one up. Euthymia is the state of living without mood disturbances. In those with bipolar disorder, euthymia is a stable mental state or mood that is neither manic nor depressive. And then I had a taxing romantic relationship at the time, which sent me into a a manic episode that uh, became like a mixed episode really quickly. Um, So that was like also for almost an entire year like right before I was gonna start college. And so two weeks before college, I um, I attempted to commit suicide. And that was, there was a, you know, a multitude of reasons again, but I was in a mixed episode at the time and that's typically my danger zone, danger zone for suicidal ideation, just because of the dysphoria between the manic and depressive mm-hmm. symptoms. That's kind of what I was experiencing. I went to therapy like a college therapist whenever uh, I started my freshman year at college, just because I was like, okay, something has to change. I don't know what's going on. I have no idea why. And that therapist was entirely unhelpful. I think she recommended me Peace in Every Step. It's It's a book based on like Buddhist ideals, which I have and it's great, but that's all she really gave me. And so I stopped going to her. As we all know, finding the right therapist can be a difficult journey. And the first one is not always the right one. And unfortunately, experiencing trauma can enhance an already challenging mental state. Mick describes to us a significant loss and the toll it took on her. The day after I had taken my final exams for my freshman year of college, my father passed away. And then so I started noticing that I was really hitting some lows and it was getting worse and worse. There were a few things that happened that actually flipped me from that to a manic episode. And so that can depend on a couple of things like um, what's happening physically in my body. Am I under a lot of excitement kind of stress instead of like emotional, emotionally taxing? It kind of depends. So I actually ended up having a manic episode instead. And so I had that manic episode probably from June all the way to August, I think, maybe September. But it started getting to a point where I was like, that something something needs to change. And actually during the second semester of my freshman year of college, I, I knew that something was wrong and it wasn't just normal traumatized things, you know, <laughs> just trauma things. It, it was something different. And so um, I talked to my mom and my mom's actually a licensed therapist. She just didn't have any, like, no training, not really, on mental health disorders, illnesses, anything like that. They give you, like, a semester to go over the entire DSM, or at least they did when she was getting her master's in counseling, so. But she was like, okay, well, why don't you keep a journal, you know, track your feelings and everything else? And so I did. Um, I did my best to keep up with that. I was sort of looking into what it could be, and so 
my brother had actually just been diagnosed with bipolar disorder at the time. Now, he ended up getting a reassessment. He doesn't think it's bipolar disorder. He thinks it's a, a couple other things. But regardless, that pointed me towards bipolar disorder. And then I talked to someone who I just knew from high school who had bipolar disorder, and they laid it down for me in real person terms and not clinical terms. And they told me, like, you can have both symptoms at the same time, which is what I more commonly experienced. So I went to the psychiatrist, forgot my notebook of everything I tracked, obviously, because I had undiagnosed ADHD. <laughs> um, and so I told her what I was experiencing. I was very clearly in a manic episode. And then having a family member have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, then it's automatically like, okay, then you're at a very high likelihood of having it too, since it's so largely genetic. And so she tried me on antipsychotics. And the next day I was like, whoa. <laughs> this is this is cool I, are you supposed to feel like this this is normal and also I slept for like 10 hours for the first time almost ever because I just was never a good sleeper because of whatever mania or ADHD or you know whatever I was actually going to ask you about that because when you said you were in a manic episode for so long I was like how did you sleep <laughs> yeah so <laughs> You know, the funny thing is, is that if I didn't have A, anxiety, and, and B, my mom was like, you have to get sleep, like, you have to get sleep, like, try to always get sleep. She's like, you know, sleep is so important, which it is, and I'm so grateful. So because of that, I actually was on, like, the other end of, oh my god, I have to sleep. I'm so anxious that I haven't gotten sleep, so I would try to get to sleep, whatever I had to, like, you know, a Benadryl or every coping skill in the book to try to sleep. And so I would, you know, stick around, like... God, in high school, I got anywhere from like one to six hours of sleep, just depending on the day. Oh my God, that breaks my heart. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And so it actually wasn't until I started antipsychotics that I slept through the night. And so that was like every night, like nine to 10 hours for a year. It was insane. It was so awesome. And then I had to get off of them because I started having like twitches. And so we tried a different antipsychotic, but I still had like twi leg twitches. And then also I started lactating because of it. it Risperdal or, you know, Risperdone, it um, can cause lactation, usually in men, but I got really lucky. So, so we moved me to a mood stabilizer and that's what I'm still on. I'm on Lamictal. Throughout the period of adjusting medication, I had to increase quite a bit, you know, because they start you on a low dose just to test it out. And so after like two weeks of me trying that first antipsychotic and I told her how I was doing, she's like, okay, yeah, so we'll continue on you on that. Mick's story reminds us how important it is to advocate for ourselves, ask the questions so that we can get the answers we need to better understand our diagnosis. I was like, great. Do you want to give me some answers here? Like, what am I dealing with? Because I got yeah. no help. It's just, yeah, take your meds. Are you, are you sleeping? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing this. Oh, okay, good. And I was like, can, so what's the, is it bipolar disorder or what? She was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, great. So which, which type? Right, <laughs> She's right. like, you said like manic episodes like last longer than a week, right? I was like, yeah. She was like, okay, so bipolar one. And so with my limited knowledge of bipolar disorder at the time, I was like, whoa, because I think a lot of people think bipolar one is like way extreme. And if you don't have like way extreme out outbursts and symptoms, like, what's in the movies or you know what a lot of people do have then you just think you have bipolar 2 because it's like less severe yeah. which it's not um it's just differently severe different. right <laughs> i got the diagnosis and i had like 
just turned 19 at that point. I still have had ep several episodes throughout being on medication, which, you know, you just, you increase your dosage and then you kind of get out of the episode and it takes you longer typically to have another episode, just depending on what's going on in your life. I had manic episodes triggered quite a few times, two times in particular, it was because I was in a bad relationship. And so what I've noticed is that for me, when my body's in that kind of fight or flight stress in a romantic relationship, or even just a really close like friendship, my body will kick into manic. And then manic me is like, I don't fucking give a fuck about you. Like, oh, can I cuss? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, gosh. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> okay. At the same time that I am manic, I lack the understanding and the care of how the consequences will be based on what I do. I also still do care about people. And so like, mm -hmm. you know, breakups, they suck regardless. And so I would be upset. But until it was like the actual breakup time, then my manic symptoms would push me to that point to actually get out of that relationship. You know, it's actually been a year since my last episode. I used to rapid cycle like at least four episodes a year or they would go on for months and months and months. So it's kind of impressive for me. <laughs> no, no, it's super impressive. It is, yeah. It's, you said something that just kind of blew my mind. In the manic episode, you had the wherewithal that you were able to comply with taking more meds because you knew that's what you needed. So how does that work for you? Something else that really affects my bipolar disorder is my anxiety. So I have a, a lot of social anxiety, but I also just had like regular old anxiety 24 seven. Like I have both a social anxiety disorder diagnosis and a generalized anxiety disorder diagnosis. While I was manic, I still had intense anxieties about doing things. And so it's hard to explain my manic symptoms were a lot of them were very internalized and in my head mm -hmm. but my anxiety kind of kept me from doing things too too extreme not that I didn't do stupid shit but um I just I think that that kind of helped me and so one of those things was taking my meds um and so wow. I don't think I've ever actually missed a dose except for like twice when I looked at it and I was like shit have I already taken this today and you don't want to overdose on Lamictal okay you don't want to take twice your dose and so I would just like take one or two and like hope for the best um, and then take my dose later that night. And it's not that I've never had the thought, I don't fucking need these. Like, I'm just gonna, whatever, I'm gonna, you know, throw them away. But I'm always like, okay, but what if? And so I <laughs> The anxiety can push through the mania, yeah. almost like that's a good thing. I mean, nobody wants anxiety because that's not a fun way to live. It was a bit of a protective factor, yeah, which is kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah, um, super interesting. Like that's yeah. never thought about that yeah. ever. Also, like when you're on, uh, bipolar, you know, whatever medication for your bipolar disorder, it lessens the symptoms. It gives you more clarity. And so I can be like, wow, I am manic. I'm having a lot of man symptoms. I can still be like, okay, one, it's not as bad, generally speaking, as previous ones. And two, I know I need to keep my meds, keep taking my meds. And so um, that definitely helps a lot. With the anxiety and the ADHD, as I started to treat my bipolar disorder, then I had more space to realized that there were other issues that didn't just get scooped under the bipolar umbrella. And so that's when I started looking at anxiety because everybody, it was awful, <laughs> but also I was dissociating, I think, 
because of how anxious I was. And so I started working on that so I would stop dissociating. But as I worked on my anxiety and some of that dissociation went away, I realized the rest of the dissociation was not dissociation, but inattentiveness. Just as a reminder, I know we've talked about dissociation before. It can happen in times of stress or in traumatic events. Dissociation is a break in how your mind handles information. You may feel disconnected from your thoughts, your feelings, your memories and surroundings. It can also affect your sense of identity and your perception of time. And so as I started to treat my anxiety and then also went through some more traumatic fun things, um, my ADHD got worse and symptoms like came out in full force. And so that's what led me to get the ADHD diagnosis because suddenly I realized like, you know what, this, I'm like, I'm not manic, but I'm still doing some things that look like they could be leading up to a manic episode. It's only really in the last like month or two that I've been able to think back and currently like distinguish between, okay, is this ADHD or is this mania? Is this the beginning of a manic episode or am I just really hyped about what I'm doing? <laughs> so yeah, it is really interesting. And so now that my anxiety generally is not as bad, my ADHD is so much worse. <laughs> Were they able to give you a medication for ADHD that didn't like trigger mania? Yeah, so that's another really interesting thing um, because a lot of people who have bipolar disorder, if they take a stimulant, then they yeah. start having manic episode. What my psychiatrist and I did was, you know, she gave me like five milligrams. She's like, take it in the morning. And then again at like 12 p.m., if your sleep gets disrupted, or anything like that, like you're pretty insightful about what you're feeling and you know, about your mental health. So just let me know and we'll stop it. And I was like, okay. In actuality, like if I took Adderall after I hadn't slept well, I would get sleepier. Because a lot of the reason that I was tired is because I would wake up in the night and my brain would start going and going. And despite how exhausted I was, I couldn't go back to sleep. And so when you take something like Adderall or, you know, for people with ADHD, um, some of them, they drink caffeine and they get sleepy. It's kind of the same thing. I don't think I've ever spoken to someone who is so educated and aware, self-aware to be able to speak to your symptoms in such an educated way. Like, you know it's what's impressive. going on. It's very impressive for you to be able to pull these symptoms and say, oh, and having the awareness to say, oh, oh my gosh, I think I'm going into a manic episode. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I've always just been an incredibly introspective person because I, I always want to know like, okay, what is wrong? Like, what is wrong with me? Why do I do these things? And I think I also, I like clicked on to psychology, particularly, you know, like, the beginnings of psychology. Why do people do what they do? Because I want to understand not only other people, but myself. And so in doing that, I became painfully self-aware of everything that I do and why, which I still do to this day. And uh, that's actually one of the reasons I've had issues with therapists, because I know what I'm talking about. Like I, I've done a lot of research. I, you know, try to listen to myself. I always want to understand. And so I do, and I am, you know, very insightful about my own mental health, but when you go to a CBT therapist, that's their job and I've already done it. So they're like, I, I don't really know what to, what to do with you here. CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. It's a structured goal-oriented type of psychotherapy, which is talk therapy. Through CBT, you can unlearn negative thoughts and behaviors and learn to adopt healthier thinking patterns and habits. I went to a therapist 
stupid expensive, like $150 a session, okay? And I had insurance, but she was out of network. She actually did, she did EMDR therapy. And so that was helpful because there was something I was actively doing to process trauma um, and it helped a lot. But, you know, again, we got to this point of, okay, well, we've processed everything that's bothering me right now. Mick is giving us the opportunity to dig into all of these psychological terms, and it's actually been really fun for us. EMDR is Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Therapy. And this is a structured therapy that encourages the patient to briefly focus on the trauma memory while simultaneously experiencing bilateral stimulation. So it's typically an eye movement. This is all associated with a reduction in the vividness and emotion associated with the trauma memories. Both Amy and I have experienced EMDR with great results. And then everything crashed and burned, you know, and so um, because with new life events brings new trauma that I've forgotten about. And I would like to thank my ADHD for that because, (laughs) look, if it's not directly affecting me right now, it doesn't exist. I forget people exist. Family members love them. I don't remember them sometimes. I really don't. That's just how it is. And so I forget about trauma. And then it gets brought up and I'm like, wow, this is awful. I forgot about how awful this is with something like a therapist who just kind of gets me to a point of, okay, well, what are you just dealing with right now? Okay, we're good. It is disheartening. My dad was also a therapist. (laughs) So my dad was like, well, she should be put in play therapy. She seems depressed. My mom was like, well, she's only like that with you. So, um, (laughs) and then like a couple therapists throughout high school, which I only went to a few times because one of them told me that the suicidal ideation thoughts I was experiencing sounded demonic. She was a Christian therapist. No. (laughs) No. Was she really for real? (laughs) A Christian therapist. Yeah. Okay. We we talked, we just talked about this on our last episode. I I shit you not because that same thing happened to me. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh yeah. They were trying to pray away the demons. They tried to pray it out of me. At least I know it wasn't the only one in that situation. So yeah, it was definitely a time where, um, my mental health was not at the highest because we were not really doing the work. Yeah, yeah, no. So I went to her once and then after that I was like, so that's not helpful. Therapy sessions were good for me to have a place where I was like, okay, it's actually time for me to process something I need to do because otherwise I like don't even think about it a lot of the time. I'm like, wow, this is really upsetting. Guess I'll sit with it until I die. <laughs> like, <laughs> The next therapist I had actually changed my life. He went beyond the, well, why are you feeling this way? into the, okay, well, why are you so terribly anxious? What does it actually lead to? What are you really thinking about? Cry about it. And I was like, what? It's like, yeah, well, grief, a lot of the times can lead to really awful anxiety. And I had lost dad, aunt, grandma, the childhood that most other kids have, a couple of divorces, you know, of my mom's. He was the first one to be like, you have to cry when you're feeling that terrible. Cause I was, it was like panic at that point. And I was in a bad relationship. I would just wake up in the morning, dread in the pit of my stomach, so anxious I could hardly move. And so I finally started crying when I was anxious. My anxiety, it started to get so much better. That's really what helped. It was unbelievable. I will forever be grateful for that therapist. Um, and he, he actually eventually retired, which was sad. So that's why I stopped seeing him. Mick's story reminds us to not give up the search for the right therapist, because once you find the right one, it can be life-changing. And so I actually reached out to one of my coworkers, Cassie. I need a therapist who specializes in ADHD because I am so burned out and I think it's because of my ADHD. 
and I realize I've been burnt out for like at least a year. I don't need a therapist to sit there and listen to me while I process. I don't need CBT. I need a therapist to be like, hey, dumbass, stop doing that and try this instead. Like, because when you're as painfully self-aware as I am and you have a therapist who just does CBT, then I can say all the right things. I know what's going on. That doesn't mean I feel any better about it. And it doesn't mean I know what to do about those feelings. I just need a therapist to call me out and give me actual techniques. Outgrowing your therapist is a very common practice. I mean, I think we counted, I had like, I've had 12 and they've each, besides the praying the demon out, they've each (laughs) had purpose in my life. Yes. So when you were explaining matcha to me, I found it super interesting that I feel like the method that you guys use at your company is pretty different in finding and matching therapists with clients. Can you explain that to us? It's it's a quiz, actually. And so I just took it the other day. It's what are your goals? What are the issues you're really experiencing right now? Do you want a male, female, LGBT, does gender matter to you or not with your therapist, you know, race, experience, spirituality? And then it's also like... If you were stuck in an elevator with someone, what would you want them to be? An artist, an investor, like stuff like that. It's just like silly, but I think it does speak to characteristics about you and how that will match you to a therapist. Yeah, like who you're comfortable with. Yes, exactly. Or who you respect. Yes. I chose an artist because I could not sit with an investor. I mean, I would like to email an investor some questions. (laughs) Yeah. Several questions. (laughs) But not have a conversation. (laughs) I mean, it's it's kind of touch and go with an artist. Yeah, so it's very, it's personalized. And then they, you know, ask, do you have insurance? Do you want to use your insurance? Do you not have insurance? So you fill that out. And then they ask, what are you comfortable paying for a therapist? And then you choose that. And then it'll bring up some therapists and their bio specialties. What food can they not live without? And it's like a dating app. It kind of cracks me up. I love that. You go ahead and schedule like a free 15 minute consultation. And then if you like them, you book a session. I also found it super interesting. We were talking about like advertising and stuff like that for, for matcha. And you said, you were like, yeah, we're not really focused on that. We're focused more on relationship building. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important. I'm not going to name any other uh, companies that we've reached <laughs> out to to talk to us. And here we are sitting with you learning your personal story and getting to know you and building that relationship. I love it too, because um, I can be honest, I can be honest about my mental health, um, especially because the reason that they hired me, because they found my mental health TikToks where I talk about having bipolar disorder. That's where my boss found me and said, hmm, yeah, her. And then, <laughs> That's awesome. I, I mean, I love that so much. I love that. Yeah. I love that instead of discarding you because of that, um, even now when you hate burnout, he didn't like say, oh, well, this is going to be a problem. Let's find somebody new who's not going to do that. Like he instead just said, take care of yourself, knowing that your work is incredible when you are able to do it and when you're supported. I'm so, so grateful because he actually, he actually really cares about us like, actually getting to know people on like a silly level or we had like company therapy meetings for a bit. I love that. Yeah, it, it is really great. And also, you know, I, I was on another podcast with somebody, uh, The Search for Serotonin, and she has, she talks about having OCPD, which is a personality disorder. It's different from OCD. So is that obsessive compulsive personality disorder? Is that what yes. that is? Mm-hmm. Interesting. This is very general, but to give you some sort of like idea, it's like if you had OCD for 
productivity and perfectionism in your efficiency, which is rough. And, you know, it's it's underdiagnosed just because um, capitalism. But, (laughs) 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 Uh, you know, in in that episode, we we talked about, you know, our mental health. And then I, you know, again, like how my mental health was affected by therapy and how matcha helped me with that. I also was like, hey, uh, work friends, co-workers, people I know, here's the episode that I did where I, you know, talked a little bit about Masha, kind of hoping they weren't really going to listen, but no, they did. They were like, this is awesome. And I'm like, oh, my personal mental health. <laughs> it's different when I, you know, say it online to thousands of people who I don't know, but my co-workers, yeah, right. No. But they're great. You know, they're, they're not like judgmental or anything. They're like, that's so cool. And I'm like, I'm glad you think so. It's <laughs> a beautiful thing. Oh my gosh, this gives me hope for the future. I really hope that other companies can follow suit. So do you see any kind of difference in the morale of your fellow employees because of this approach to managing people? It's not like everyone's in the meeting like, hi, oh my God, I'm so excited to be here. But it's like we're all ourselves and we're uncomfortable. We don't have to like fake it. And so when I am, when I do talk with, you know, some of my coworkers, it, it is very easy it's not stressful. We ask each other for help. So there's like a lot of teamwork. I don't notice anyone being like stressed to hell. I think it, it definitely does really improve the morale. And again, not in like a, everyone's like gung-ho excited 24-7. You don't really want that That's anyways. not reality. No. Yeah, no. That's, not, that's not real. Yeah. No, but you know, we are real and comfortable. That is a beautiful place to be. You can't really ask for more than that. And that's another reason I work hard for them because I'm like, I love this company and I want them to do well. Yes. The sooner that people get that, uh, the better everything will be. Like I will work so much harder if you accept me for me and, you know, give me some grace and also some understanding. Like I will bust my ass for you. What is your favorite thing about matcha for clients? Process is so simple which is nice, it's not complicated. I guess my favorite thing is about how personal it is. Your therapists are really real with you. There's not like a big disconnect between you and the therapist despite it being through a screen. Um, But I think that they just make the process so easy and painless that it's so much easier to really focus on actually getting your mental health worked on between you and a therapist. What do you get when you put three mental health advocates on a call together? you get a rabbit hole, but this time it was a good one. We fell down a whole discussion about different coping techniques, new ones, tried and true ones, and how sometimes stubbornness can get the best of you when it comes to what's best for you. You know, I recently learned about HDHD, like ADHD or whatever, and it's just binaural beats for when you get like overstimulated. I have seen that. Yes. And I've been listening to it to sleep. I don't even understand how it works, but it just is magic. I remember it was recently. There's there's two coping mechanisms I've started to use when I'm overstimulated and or having like starting to have a panic attack. But it it was the binaural beats. um, And I like put my headphones on because I have noise canceling headphones to help with overstimulation. I put them on and started going and I was just like, like I just, <laughs> I like kind of sat there and I felt like I was in a TV show and I hit the twilight zone and it yes. was fantastic. Um, and then the other thing I've been doing is like holding a bag of ice. The first time I did it recently was I was on a call with somebody that I've been talking to. I started to have a panic attack. We were just looking at like our astrology charts because it brings up good points for a discussion. 
wow, is that something you relate with? How come or whatever? And that's great and all until I have to look at the relationship trauma that's in my chart that I've actually experienced. I was like, I'll be right back. And so I grabbed a bag of ice from the freezer and I just kind of sat down. I was like, okay, so I am starting to have a panic attack, but I do not feel like dealing with it. So I'm going to hold this and we're going to continue talking because I really want to talk to you. And he was just like, uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, if he doesn't run, then right. that's if a keeper. He's like, cool. <laughs> yeah, he's like, cool, cool. <laughs> the ice has been helping me as well, specifically on my chest. Oh, okay. Tell me if this makes sense. But when something, a coping mechanism is so widely suggested and it's like, oh, but just do this, it'll help. Even if it's helpful, I don't want to do it. I don't care. Yes. You just told me to do it and now I won't. Like, <laughs> ice was kind of one of those things. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I should have listened to that one, but we got it now. So only when you discover it. Well, discover it yourself. Yeah. You're like, oh, that was all me. Air quotes. Yeah. I, mean, I, did, I don't even, I, I never heard that before. That was just me. I found that, okay? Breathing. I mean, I figured out the breathing. Nobody told me to breathe. We make jokes about it all the time. We're like, anytime anybody says anything, it's always like, have you tried yoga? <laughs> Long walks? Have you tried breathing? No. Have when you it, gone into nature? Go outside. Go yeah. On. Yes, I yeah. know what helps. So stop. <laughs> right? <laughs> And we know these things help. And I think it's particularly because people are like, oh, this is really like, just do this and your problems will go away. Even if they don't explicitly yes. say that, but that's the vibe they have. I'm like, okay, right. first of all, fuck you because you're not experiencing what I'm experiencing. And this yes. is not easy. And also if it was easy and I've been struggling this hard for so long, then I've been wasting my time struggling so hard for so long. And I don't want to deal yeah. with that. Except for the times where, again, that one therapist that like really helped me with like a grief and anxiety, he was like, okay, well, you're going to write a letter and then we're going to meet back next week and you can either read the letter or we can just talk about it. And that was actually also really helpful because it wasn't just, oh, start journaling. It was like, hey, write this by this time. And so that was actually more helpful. It is like the write this specific letter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I like that because I have a hard time journaling too, Mick, that, which is weird because I love to write. Like I love, I'm a writer and I love mm -hmm. to write. But when it comes to journaling, for some reason, I'm just like, I can't do this. I don't know. I, mm -hmm. No, I feel you. There was one time I was like, I have to journal or I'm going to lose my shit. And so my hands started cramping and I started using my left hand because I forgot that I can sort of write with, I'm like ambidextrous. I just never practiced writing with my left hand. So now I'm just kind of doing it for fun. And it's both my handwriting suck. It's fine. But um, <laughs> so like I would get to this point of like, I should talk to my friends. They're wonderful. They listen. They don't judge. It's not my first thought. And I really struggle to reach out, although I am getting better about it. So what I started doing instead of like, just journaling like words because I feel stupid writing because this like, this is obviously very obvious that I'm feeling this even though it does help I actually so I, I write songs already like I, I play piano I write songs and so I will start writing sort of poem format and that actually helps a lot that's great I love that too and using both sides of your brain like that is extremely helpful especially if you're heading down like a panic attack state try yes. to use both sides crossing that line the median line between your both sides of your hemispheres of your brain is, is mm -hmm. really helpful so using both hands is absolutely a way to do that mm -hmm. or play you know with an instrument you're also using or, both hands right. and so both hands. that's mm -hmm. also yeah I mean I feel like you could probably do it with like knitting or something like crying while knitting I it sounds odd but I think that that could really work and I would like to hear from somebody who knits or crochets about trying that and Amy. if they have and if it works it does work. Amy I does. do. I <laughs> she can tell you right now. Yeah, I do. Uh, I it does. It totally works, especially with anxiety. I do hand embroidery. 
and I embroider the shit out of everything and it definitely <laughs> works. Totally works. That is fantastic. Can I pay you to embroider me something? Oh no, you can't pay me, but I'll do it. <laughs> I love doing it so much. So I, much. I kind of want the weather's not bipolar, but I am like embroidered. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, it's it's actually like an interesting phrase. Not only that, hey, the weather isn't bipolar, and it's just because like bipolar is so widely used for everything like that that I get ticked off about it, which is why I made that little slogan for a t-shirt. But also, I typically don't say I am bipolar. I say I have bipolar disorder yes. because. Yes. It doesn't affect every waking moment of my life unless I'm in an episode. If anything, I think it's weird that people say I have ADHD instead of like I am ADHD because ADHD affects every second of my life. <laughs> we talk about language a lot and how we need to revisit some of the things and phrases that we've been saying for so long. And that is definitely one of them is calling things bipolar. I adopt the same principles for depression and all of that. I, I would say my depression, you know, a lot. My therapist was like, it's not your depression. Like, or I would say I'm depressed. And she's like, you're not depressed. You have depression. It's you are not depression. Mm -hmm. You, mm -hmm. It is not your body. It is not your soul. It is not who you are. It is something that you're experiencing. And it mm -hmm. helped me to separate it from myself because it was something that was so all-consuming. And so it was like being able to separate it and use that different language was so important for mm -hmm. me and my diagnosis. So it's really good to hear that it's, you know, helping you too. Yeah. And I think that it also kind of depends on the person. So for some people, it they really feel it affects every dimension of their life. And who are we to say like, oh, but it's not like, you know, it's not like you. Like it's up to the person to really decide whether they want to say I am or I have. Um, but generally with bipolar disorder, if it's someone who doesn't have bipolar disorder, that's sort of a distinction I will make mm -hmm. just because don't like assume that someone is their mental illness. Talking about mental illness can be tricky. Talking about it on social media can get complicated. But Mick has committed to doing this because it's something that she wishes she had. A real person sharing their real experiences, that feeling of connection. I do talk about bipolar disorder online, like on Instagram and TikTok. I kind of do a myriad of comedic stuff and educational and then like really fucking sad. I do have that on there for people who are unsure of what they might have mental illness wise and if they want to learn more from an actual person who can both educate on the, you know, clinical and, and word what you actually experience, but also show what you experience. I think that really would have helped me because there I didn't find like any creator with bipolar disorder when I first got diagnosed. That's part of why I became a creator mm -hmm. who talks about bipolar disorder because manic me was like, ah, these are funny. We'll post these about bipolar disorder, even though I wasn't like really ready to start showing the world or telling the world that I had bipolar disorder, but I'm glad that I did. So it helped me a lot dealing with my own internalized stigma and educating myself and others more. Where can people find you and Matcha on social media and the internets? My username, I made it so long ago and it's kind of cringy, but it is at mickb underscore it me. <laughs> <laughs> I like it though. I love it. We will Thank link you. that so everyone yeah. can make sure that they can click on it and find you. As for matcha, they are at matcha.health, and that is the same for TikTok and Instagram. And then www.matchahealth.com. Uh, 
Mick.io. Thank you so much for coming on, Mick, and sharing your personal story, willing to be so open and vulnerable with us. We are very appreciative. We just want to thank you and thank Matcha for letting you use some of your hours at work to come talk to us (laughs) (laughs) and explain also, you know, what a wonderful company it is. And we're excited to spread the word to all of our listeners to go check you out. Thank you so much, Mick. Yeah, this has been wonderful. You guys are amazing and very easy to talk to. It's exciting for me to get to share like, hey, this is what I do and where I work and they're awesome. And for other people to be like, oh my God, yes, that is awesome. So thank you for uh, giving me the space to experience that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. This episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner. Theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. All episodes are mixed, mastered, and produced by me, Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this one, consider supporting us on patreon.com slash unqualifiedtherapistsinc. Or share us with a friend, relative, coworker, hairstylist, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Sharing us not only helps keep the mics on, but it furthers our mission in removing the stigma. If you have a mental health journey you'd like to share, email us at unqualifiedtherapists at gmail.com or reach out to us on our website, www.unqualifiedtherapists.com. Until next time, hold on, warrior. We're gonna make it. We are-